right, here we go. Politics. Let's do this. Political debates almost always lead nowhere, but I don't think that's a good enough reason for us to stop talking about politics. So, on this episode of Ideas Digest, I want to look at the person behind the vote, the reasons, thought processes, values, and life experiences that brings them to support the various different political parties that they support. Now, in this current media landscape where all of our political parties spend, let's, I don't know, most of their time, it's all I see, most of their time misrepresenting, slandering the other parties, there's no substance behind these attacks. Sure, Labor want to raise taxes and ruin the economy and Liberals don't vote for them because they want to take all the money from old crippled people. These attack ads call us not to think but just to entrench ourselves into our already existing positions and to stop us from searching or asking more questions. And if we can label someone who thinks differently to us as arrogant or an idiot or evil, then we don't have to truly contend or take seriously any of the ideas that they're talking about. And this, I believe to be intellectually lazy. It is lazy to assume that that person holds a different idea because that per- that person is flawed. Well, they must be a fool. They must be selfish. They must be arrogant. Oh, they just m- must want to ruin the economy. I think that's lazy. Because when we write someone off like that, it gives us a free ticket to not take someone's idea seriously. And when we do that, we don't challenge any of our own ideas and our own assumptions. So as you listen to this episode, rather than starting at the point where, oh, this person disagrees with me, so they must be either wrong, misinformed, or an idiot, let's assume that the person is intelligent, maybe has done a little bit of their homework, let's assume the person is thoughtful. When we hold those assumptions, when we hear someone who disagrees with us or thinks differently to us, then that will allow us, myself included, to ask the question, hang on. Could I be wrong? Maybe I'm wrong. What am I wrong about? And it will, it will hopefully provoke us into doing a bit more research, which I think we should all be doing homework before this next election. Do some Googling, do some reading. And at the very least, if you can't be bothered, you're like, listen, Conrad, that's too much homework for me. Hey, I get it. That's fine. Then I think there's no harm in occupying the simple position of, listen, I haven't done my homework. I'm not too sure. I think it's better to admit when we don't know something, than to hold a position that we haven't researched so strongly that all it does is divide us from other people. So for the next 30 minutes, let us all ditch the tribalism and hear what this left-leaning Labour voter thinks and why he believes that Labour deserves your vote. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ideas Digest, the political edition. So I'm with my friend Cam here. Morning. And we're going to dive into the different perspectives 
leading up to election season. The election is very soon. They announce it, and then a month later, boom, we might have a new government. Tensions with what people think and believe doesn't exist in just religious circumstances. It exists everywhere, and especially in the political realm. So I'm here at a man named, named Chris at his house, and I want to find out who he votes for and why. So thanks for joining me, Chris. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. We are in the suburb of, where are we, Camp? We're in East Ivanhoe in Melbourne today. It's a beautiful day. We're sitting in an aviary. Is that what this is? Uh, conservatory. Conservatory. Avery's got birds, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm learning a lot already. So let's jump right in. Chris, before we even get to know you, you walk into the voting booth in, what, one month? Less than a month. Who do you vote for? I'll be voting Labor and very carefully directing my 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 preferences um, and pushing them towards green and left-wing people. That's enough information for me to make some sweeping judgments. Yeah. You've you've said the the green word. The greens is a very triggering word for people. As soon as you say the greens, we've got all these assumptions. So I'm going to play this new segment called "Correct Me If I'm Wrong." And I'm just going to, and maybe Cam as well. So I've just heard, I haven't heard anything you really said. I heard you preferenced greens. So I'm going with that. I'm just going to level some assumptions at you now. That probably is what happens when most people hear a political opinion. And in a simple yes or no, tell me if how spot on I am. So feel free to play along at home. Now, don't tell me you haven't made any assumptions because... This kind-faced gentleman, you've heard his, uh, his political opinion. You've either assumed this guy is, oh, he's an intelligent, educated man just based on his politi- who he votes for, or you've assumed, oh, he's an idiot, he's crazy, or who knows? who knows? But we've made the assumptions. So play along at home, and let's see how many um, you get. So he, he said a Labor voter, but because I heard preferencing Greens, I'm just, I'm just going to assume he's a Greens supporter. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you must be a tree hugger. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, we got one, we got one. Bit of a druggo. Take a few recreational drugs, do you? Uh, no. Oh, surely weed. Come on. We're in a, we're in a green room here. Hey, is that what this is for? I'd be happy to discuss drug policy at some stage. Okay, uh, too much nuance on that one. You uh, must care about animals more than people. I care about animals a lot. More than people? I care about people a lot. (laughs) (laughs) The the relativities depend Uh, maybe on the people. (laughs) (laughs) Are you a vegan? No, I'm not. No, I I eat meat, but I I do it apologetically. (laughs) (laughs) I regret for meat. Yes. So sometimes we say grace, but uh, I feel inclined to thank the cow too from time to time. Anti-vax? No, not at all. You must be a man-hating feminist. Uh... I, I, look, I, w- I would like to think I'm a feminist, but I, but I, I think being an old bloke, I probably <laughs> carry a lot of a, a lot of prejudices that I'm not even aware of. Okay, okay, all right. So maybe you don't hate men, all right? But you're definitely a communist. Uh, probably lefty enough not to be able to live in Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So you're a f- so you and um, Russia and China, you just think they're the best regimes in the world? No, no. I think I think they're a calamity. Uh, I, I would probably oh. I would probably associate myself much more happily with the sort of governments that have been typical in Scandinavia. Oh, so not okay. Doesn't sound like a hard socialist there. You're obviously a climate change believer. 
Uh, yeah, yes, and of course, be- belief is, is 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 a puzzling term. <laughs> I okay. mean, uh, too much, too much nuance. I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> but, categorizing but yes, you. Yes. <laughs> okay, yes. No, I would love to talk about um, climate change at some stage. <laughs> I'm also a believer in gravity, for example. <laughs> <laughs> Too much nuance. He believes in climate change, everybody. Yes, I do. You want to take away my freedom of speech, obviously. You hate um, free speech. I, uh, I hate hate speech. Okay, so you hate free speech. I got it. Okay. <laughs> you see what I'm doing here? I, I do. Yep. Don't hate me too much. This, I'm, I'm being, this is purely I'm, as an exercise. I'm being verbal. Um, <laughs> you, you want to take all the money from the rich and give it to the poor? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, all right. You want to waste government's money? Uh, I, I would just waste it willy nilly. I would generously spend it. <laughs> Sounds like waste to me. <laughs> and last question: Egg boy, uh, fan or not a fan? Egg boy, egg boy. <laughs> <laughs> thumb up or thumb down for egg boy? Uh, egg boy. Uh, look, we no new one, no time no, for no, new no, ones. No, uh, <laughs> not, not even time for an anecdote. Um, <laughs> I, I, I feel warmly towards Egg Boy. <laughs> Warm feelings. <laughs> this guy loves Egg Boy. Okay. All right. So there's a lot of no's in there. A lot of... you. Might, everyone listening and even in this room here, we've discovered that that's not a very helpful conversation. We haven't learned too much. My assumptions are mostly hit and miss. So let's press on into this conversation, learn a little bit more. We've done the judging. I think we've got it out of our system. Do you have any judgments to make, Cam? No, I think... I mean, I think it's fairly clear that nuance is important here. <laughs> um, what are you talking about? Um, a podcast over. <laughs> Let's get in, get to know Chris a little bit more. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Adelaide. I, I had a um, childhood where, um, uh, as Philip Adams would, would have said, a, a silver spoon in every orifice. <laughs> <laughs> so you grew up with a bit of money? Uh, yes, I, I was the son of a dentist. Okay, uh, dentist. Went, went, yeah, went to... Went to one of Adelaide's nicest schools. Um, okay. Did you grow up religious at all? Uh, yes. Uh, in, in my teens, um, where we, we became quite committed Christians. And, and that was actually quite, it came at quite an important phase of my life too. I, I think I'd have to say that our, our lives had become a, a little bit, um, uh, lost, uh, lost our anchor at that point. The family was a bit adrift. It, it, it came at a, at, at a good time to provide structure through my teenage years and uh, it, it certainly gave me something to hang on to straighten up christian yes a seventh day adventist christian seventh day adventist, yeah. yeah and are you religious now um no uh, no, no I, I have largely lost anything that you would call a faith okay um, it, it's um, the, the maintenance became a little bit, bit excessive <laughs> okay well that sounds like a good podcast for another time who did your var- parents vote for uh, look, we, we came from a strongly liberal voting family. Uh, I remember people like my grandfather saying when Gough Whitlam was elected, he'll bankrupt the country in 18 months. And of course, it was kind of disturbing when he did. But <laughs> <laughs> So he was right, man. This guy sounds smart. But he has a long line of liberal voters. Menzies was a hero. And what educational upbringing have you had? Probably, so you, went, you said mentioned you went to a well-off school. You went to university, and what do you do now? What's yes. your education? Uh, journey? A postgraduate degree in physics. Uh, I'm now a, me- a medical physicist. So, so I'm a physicist who works in a hospital, and, and my job is to make sure that radiation therapy for cancer is, is accurate and, and that when the patient lies down under a treatment machine, they get exactly what the doctor ordered. Okay, so it's safe to say highly educated. This, this next question is always a bit sensitive, so answer it how, how you like. Income bracket, you know, you can get creative and you can go upper middle, middle, like roughly ballpark. 
Uh, no. Or decline, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to handle that. Uh, yeah. But uh, top, top few percent. Top few percent. Okay. So, yeah, like upper. Upper, yep. Okay. And how many countries have you traveled to? Uh, uh, quite a bit in, uh, in Southeast Asia. Uh, Europe only once. You've mentioned you're not a young gentleman. Roughly, you can ballpark it or give us your exact age. Well, uh, slightly over the, the normal retirement age, uh, so, so okay. over 65. So you're um, retired now? No. No, um, okay. And, and reluctant to retire. I, I think because uh, in, in my mind, retirement is the thing you do just before you die. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm putting it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess there's good research to say you know the more you're working and staying active the mind stays active and yes. you've got to have something to do yeah yes that's right and, so and you it, enjoy what you're doing then oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, oh, I, enjoy, okay. I enjoy my work back to voting when did you cast your first vote and who was it for look i, I think i've probably voted liberal um and it would have been as, almost as soon as i turned 18 you voted liberal for how many years uh pro- probably a few years uh, i mean it, it, it's it's commonly understood that you, you're, it, it's normal to be a revolutionary in your youth and become a reactionary as you get older, that you, you start mm. off with... Start uh, optimistic yes. and cynical. You start off lefty and you steadily grow sort of more right-wing as you get older. And I think my trajectory has been the opposite of that. So I started off sort of following the, the conservative establishment line yeah. um, and I, I think I've become more in, entrenched... Uh, in, in, the, in the polar opposite of that as I've got older. And I, I couldn't tell you why. I know that you just said that you couldn't tell us why, but it, it is something I would like to explore. Like, have you seen stuff not working and so you want to push back on it? or Possibly. Um, I've done a certain amount of reading. Um, and, and I think society's changed too. I, I think uh, we've become increasingly polarised. The... the the uh, Liberal Party, for example, the traditional Conservative Party in Australia, has moved further to the right um, to the point where I think it's become uh, unsupportable. The, the influence of money in politics has become more apparent. For example, the, the, the coalition's support of the mining and coal mining lobby in particular, their inability to handle renewable energy, and in fact anything to, say, to do with energy. You know, energy is such a top, toxic topic with mm. the Liberals, that the Conservatives tear themselves apart whenever somebody mentions it. Can you pinpoint when did you cast your vote away from Liberal and who did you vote for and what was the what changed, what shifted? Was it, was it what you're talking about now? Yeah, no, that's actually a difficult one to answer, in part because my, my own memory of my own life is always fairly fuzzy. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club. I'm yeah, <laughs> remembering anything further back than breakfast is a bit hard. <laughs> I'm with you. What would you do this weekend? Yeah. Jeez, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like what day is it? Yeah. Um, but, but I think, uh, I th- I think after the, the Hawk years, um, from about the Hawk years onwards, I think I was a fairly committed uh, Labour voter, La- Labour or Greens. So you've voted for both Labor and yes, Green? Yes, I have. Part. I've supported both. Why? Well, look, I, I think um, they, they are naturally allies. Now, 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 in reality, in the Parliament, they're not. Uh, in Parliament, they're committed enemies because the Greens are seen as leeching supporters away from Labor, taking away their, their left wing and, and more uh, environmentally aware uh, part of their, their natural base. So, so Labor and Greens are uh, politically uh, at odds. But in point of fact, their, their causes are fairly well aligned, I think. And, and of course, the, the thing that's probably um, made me more committed over the last few years has been issues of, of the environment, which I think have become so much more confronting. And, if, if you, and reading Naomi Klein 
uh, was was uh, probably a bit of a turning point there for me too. She makes the point, I think, quite fluently that capitalism uh, and the, the the market-based structure that we have at the moment cannot cope with climate change. That uh, you know, for example, why would any company or, or any self-respecting company leave coal in the ground or oil that hasn't been pumped out and burnt? So it's it's just not in the DNA of a market economy to be able to deal with climate change. Mm. Now, the that market means, economy as it stands right now. Yes. Uh, and of course, we, we tried to put a price on carbon. Uh, mm. And of course, the, the conservatives tore that down very quickly. And, uh, and she likened it to the war effort of World War II, that we're facing a crisis of that magnitude. But that's actually quite optimistic, because that really says that as... as the Western world managed World War II in the same way we can manage climate change. I mean, it's a whole lot better than throwing your hands up and saying there is nothing we can do about this. However, the market economy of the Western world didn't manage it, the World War II. That was managed by governments and by massive government expenditure and by overriding markets. And the same thing is required here. And, and of course, as soon as you say that, the conservative... Communist... <laughs> is that is that where you, is that well the, the, the conservative politicians uh, heads explode because of course they, they work on the understanding that the market is the most efficient way of distributing resources yeah the free and, market and is this uh, the thing that you want to leave untouched yes you, it will solve everything it will yes. it will fix the problems and That's you're right. all kind yeah. of saying that because of this crisis it will either not react or react too slowly to a to a really dire situation. Yes, yes. This is this is outside the capacity of a market economy to deal with. Right. When you're talking about the government needs to take more control of markets, I'm what I think people would hear that as you want to undermine the free market and have the government allocate resources. Where are the limits to this? So you're saying with climate change, we, the government needs to deal with it. Where does that start? Where does that end? Yeah, look, it's a really good question uh, because what we're in at the moment is a sort of a, uh, a plain sailing environment where the market appears to be managing everything nicely and, and governments can leave that to the market. But at the same time, I, I think the, the government has, uh, and, and the general population of Australia hasn't come to terms with climate change. Um, for example, if we, we talk about Kyoto and then Paris Agreement and then trying to stay within two degrees of, uh, of, uh, of global warming. Um, so you believe, that, you I, believe I all the stats that NASA, Australian Bureau of Meteorology, yes. all the scientific bodies... Absolutely. absolutely. Okay, uh, yeah. Implicitly. Yep. And of course, this is the funny part where, where people talk about believing or not believing climate change. I, I don't think a scientific fact needs to be believed. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't have to believe in gravity. Yeah, yeah, yeah and belief is meaningless. Uh, it, it, it's a, it has absolutely no relevance or application in this situation. And, of course, the, the odd thing is that we have people who have no expertise in the area simply saying, I don't believe in climate change. Um, and you look at that and think, well, you don't have to believe that. What, 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 what is the, even the relevance of a statement like mm -hmm. that? Why would but you, you have a strong background in science. Yes, I'm, I'm a... I'm a Yes, mm -hmm. I have a postgraduate degree in physics, and, and of course. So you have quite a high degree of trust in the institutions that science yes, I operates do. within. Um, absolutely, and if you, if you look at, for example, at the process of peer-reviewed journal publication, I, I think that's it's not perfect, but it's probably the closest thing we have to a truth machine. I might I might push back on the belief thing. You have a strong background in science. You've worked in it. You're still working in it to this day, hmm. and so maybe if for someone like you, belief isn't what what it is 
but you have a strong understanding of the science and maybe a trust in it. Whereas someone like me, not a scientific background, didn't enjoy science at school, I couldn't debate this issue. If someone's like, oh, tell me why climate change is real or not real, look at this study. I can't look into the study and go, oh, well, you see, they didn't peer review this correctly. For me personally, maybe it's not belief, but maybe it's trust. Do I trust the institutions of science? Do I trust the consensus, I suppose? And then do I trust the media, how it's representing that consensus? So there's these, there's these few layers that filter it through. So maybe, maybe for people like me, it's a, it's a thing of trust, but you've come through a background of science. You've seen the institution working. You, you work within it. And you have a high degree of trust in the systems and processes. And yeah, you're saying yes. that they're probably the best ones to go with. Yep. Yeah, yes, yes, I do. Um, and of course, I think one of Australia's problems, we don't have enough scientists in Parliament. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but the Parliament is full of lawyers. Now, now, a lawyer's opinion can be bought. You know, a lawyer will support whatever case he's paid to. Okay. A scientist okay. will say, no, that's not right. Some people might... <clears throat> some people might say that scientists can be bought too based on who provides yes. the funding for the study. And, and that's right, and a small percentage of them are. And, and some, some of the scientists who were publishing uh, a, against the, the idea of climate change were in fact active in the publishing against the, the science of smoking and cancer. Right. Okay. So it's, it's a, yes, there's always somebody who is for sale. Mm-hmm. But if you look at where all the money is, um, the, the money is on the side of the fossil fuel companies so there's massive amounts of wealth in the, in the fossil fuel industries where does the money come from the other side for the well it, it largely comes from government grants and of course it's quite hard and competitive to get but the uh, if, if if this influence is to be if, if this debate is influenced by money you've got to look at where the money is there's not much money on the on the climate change side most of the money is on the fossil fuel company side so if the weight of money is pushing anything around then it's acting against the science of climate change. You believe, given the themes that you've spoken about, the biggest reasons why you're a Labor slash Green supporter is environmental? No, no, no actually no. Okay. It's, it's a strong part of it, but yes. uh, that sense of rising inequality in our society is Rank the issues for me. Rank the, like, you, you yes. go into the voting booth, what's at the forefront of your mind? You're like, obvious, okay, here's a better question to ask, and I think this is the question that we all should ask. Because I think it's okay to ask, who do you vote for? Like, it always feels a bit rude, even like, how much do you earn is a bit, you know, invasive. But I think, who do you vote for? I, I feel like it should be a question we should ask. But maybe if we ask it this way, what percentage do you support the Labor Party and what percentage do you po- support the Greens Party? And then tell me and rank those issues on the ones that build up that percentage. Of course, in, in part of them, uh, the things that I think should happen are actually against my interests. Okay. <laughs> Unpack that, please. Well, well, well I mean, uh, uh, when you have built up a certain uh, sort of asset collection portfolio um, and, and you're, you're living on a very nice income uh, to say that you think that people who have a nice asset collection should part with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gets, and gets you're the individual with an asset collection. Yeah, I'm the guy with two Mercedes-Benzes in the driveway. <laughs> yes. I did walk past, very nice, yeah. very nice. <laughs> so so it's, it's, it's one of those things with, uh, where, where I think current pro- or the proposed uh, Labor Party um, policy of removing the, the franking credit re- cash rebates mm. where no tax has been paid, that, that will hurt me. 
Um, so you're, you you benefit from that right now. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you're wanting to get rid of it. Well, I, I, th I think it's fair and appropriate to do so. Okay. Yes. For example, the Greens have a policy of introducing death taxes. Uh, that would upset me too, or probably upset my so children. So death tax. <laughs> <laughs> but but yes, why, why, why should... You care at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think right. you'll be... I've, I've finished with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but I, I think that makes perfectly good sense. Why, why should um, some people start life with uh, a, a disproportionately larger privilege... Um, I mean, they already do. You know, anybody who is raised in Australia and in a functional and affluent family has access to high-quality education and a stable family life has a huge advantage. Of course, you don't need to be wealthy to have that. But, but it, uh, if if you look at the children of the wealthy, uh, they they do have much greater privilege. You know, that they will go off and work in dad's business. It's, it's expected they'll become partners in dad's law firm, you know, that kind of stuff. That kind of privilege is um, immensely valuable. They probably don't need the 10 million bucks that goes with it. What percentage do you support Labor and what percentage do you support the Greens? Give me a, like a rough Because oh, it's uh, obviously not 100%. No, no, no one can agree with 100% of anything. And I'm probably halfway between them. I think I'm a bit to the left of Labor and, and a little bit to the right of the Greens. And in point of fact, that's exactly where I, I did the uh, ABC Vote Compass thing. <laughs> oh, I wish exactly we were sponsored. Half, half, yeah. <laughs> so go yeah. to ABC and do the Vote <laughs> Compass and you'll find out where you sit on the spectrum. Back to yeah. back to the program. Yeah, the, uh, there are other things that uh, I think where the, where the Greens are dead right. Uh, you know, Things like refugee and asi asylum seekers. For example, I think we've handled those appallingly. You, know, you don't you don't agree with a hundred percent of Labor's policies, and you don't um, agree with a hundred percent of Greens' policies. No, possibly not. Uh, and the Labor, I think, is a little cowardly on refugee and asylum seeker policy, mm -hmm. and they've done that deliberately because they, they, that was a, a fight they did not want to be in. So they said, "All right, yes, I, I, they couldn't win it yes. because we were just so far against yep. it." Yeah, yep. uh, I can see why they did that strategically, but it. But it is a cowardly thing to do. So, so there you would say the Labor Party don't go far enough. In their quiet moments, most of them would, would agree they should be doing and saying more than they are, but they know that it will be difficult to win an election if they do. Part of the problem is that the, the Australian population is fairly xenophobic. We're, 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 it, is, it is, I think, a failing of character of, of, in Australia, and it stems largely because we live on an island. We're not accustomed to having people popping in. What What is that thought? Because you used to vote Liberal as you did. What, in your perspective, changed for you to then look at Labor and the Greens and go, you know what, they represent my values? What What is that? I, I think compassion has something to do with it. Because so you would say you became more compassionate. Yeah, I think so. As you get older, I think you know, the, the amount of testosterone starts to ebb out of your body. You don't want to go out in the street and punch people up. <laughs> I've Instead, still got those urges. <laughs> when... When you, when you see privilege and wealth exercising its prerogatives, uh, the people at the other end of the spectrum are experiencing a lack of that. What changed you? What made you more compassionate? I'm not sure I could point at anything, except perhaps just the, the, the gentle washing away of the years. <laughs> Age? <laughs> maybe. maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. You know, from the Christian perspective, you know, they would say that when, you, when you're more religious, you'd be more moral. And more mm. compassionate. Which yes. you're saying you've, your, your religion's washed away with the yes. years, but yeah. with it has come a tide of compassion. Well, look, actually, I think that's probably true. But the curious thing is that the people who are most evangelical and loudest about their Christianity in a society like America, I think, are some of the cruelest in that society. And you're measuring cruelty as, like, output of policy. You're saying these policies hurt these people. Yes. And this conservative religious group of people support these policies and they mm. have hurtful outcomes. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely believe yep. that, yes. 
And you, you see it, for example, in, in societies where they are so religious that they won't permit abortion. And you end up with a, an 11-year-old having a child that was uh, the, the result of rape, and uh, she's required to deliver that child and look after it. And uh, I don't see that as being compassionate. It's, it's religious, mm-hmm. but it's certainly not compassionate. So moving, moving towards the end, I'm going to occupy an offensive role. And I, I spent my morning trolling critiques of the left i'm going to link some of the things i watch and i'm going to put them to you i didn't fact check him i just got on yep. that's what yep. that's what you do. <laughs> who does <laughs> who does so no well, fact what's a fact anyway <laughs> this podcast <laughs> is easy to do i don't fact check i just repeat <laughs> stuff i'm going to throw at you some positions <laughs> you can either defend my attack you can let it go through the keeper which i respect as well you know a, a classy I don't know. Well, that's fair. Is good as well. Sure. I don't think that happens enough in politics. I would mm. lo- I would vote for the next politician that said, "Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to ask an expert. <laughs> I'm yes. going to ask an expert and get back to you about it." Yes. Or, uh, or, so, even, or even I used to think that, but I've changed my mind. <laughs> I would love that. We're going to try and do a lot of that and encourage that. Here we go. The left. The left is too idealistic. You've got no realistic policy. The Greens are never going to get in power. They don't have to be realistic. They don't have an achievable action plan. Uh, no, no, actually, I agree to an extent. Yes, look, they, they, they won't achieve government, but they, they, they can inject conversation. Um, and that, that's not a bad thing. To change the conversation in politics is useful from time to time. But they, okay. but they do lack grunt. Okay. Uh, they are idealistic, but I also share a number of their ideals. Where is all this money coming from? Big plans for universal basic income, big plans for um, a carbon tax, big plans for increasing welfare... Someone's got to pay the bill. The left just pass it on to somebody else. They're fiscally irresponsible. Yeah. And, and that, look, mon- money in politics is really interesting. But if you uh, realise that Australia is the 13th largest economy in the world and we are something like the third richest per capita, um, e- even though we're, we're something like the 30-something uh, largest population in the world, so, so we're, we're actually a very affluent country. We can afford to do almost anything we want. Um, you, you must remember, too, that when it comes to tax, the uh, current Conservative government is using the terms, your money. We want to give you back more of your money. It's your money. Well, sure, that's your money. But is that your road you're driving on? Is that your hospital that you want to take your child to? So uh, this, this idea of your money, I think, is, is really only telling half the story. Where, where are those, all those services that, uh, as part of a civil society, we take for granted? They have to be paid for. So you would say the, the left is not fiscally irresponsible? Uh, well, actually, uh, the Labor Party's proposals all sound highly responsible. You know, the, the difficulty with them is that there are going to be some losers, and the, no, nobody wants to be a loser. For example, if, if you are uh, a property investor and you want to sell one or two of your houses, uh, Labor wants to bump up your capital gains tax. That's probably fair. The other thing is, when, when you say, where's the money coming from? The biggest question is, where has the money gone? Um, if you look at the tiny amount of tax paid by the wealthy and by the large multinational corporations in Australia, that's where it's gone. There's been a lot of leakage and slippage from the taxation system in effective tax evasion, all of it completely legal and all of it completely reprehensible. What about... What about this safe schools program created by a Marxist saying that it's heterosexist 
to refer to our children as boys and girls and recommends that we have students role play. This is yeah. surely going to harm. This is the policy yeah, yeah, of the yeah. left and yep. it's going to harm the next generation of kids. Yeah, yeah. Go. <clears throat> yes, there was a lot of emotion around Safe Schools. Safe Schools is an anti... The first thing you must remember is an anti-bullying program. So if, if you're going to tear that down, you'll need to replace it with some equally effective anti-bullying program. The, the, the role of a... The, the, the lot of a child who, who is not heteronormative in our schools these days is pretty uncomfortable. You know, if, if you're that kid who looks slightly effeminate, boy, are you in for a strife. And they, they do need support. And the only... The, the most cogent statistic, I think, is the fact that their suicide rate is something like six times the norm. So, so this is a population that's in trouble. And the other thing is that um, anything that talks about sex is um, is a real problem with conservatives. Conservatives have a problem with sex; they really do. If you if you look at the number of them who are uh, uh, not only appalled by sex but simultaneously sexually abusing, it, it's it's astonishing. So, so there is a hypocrisy built into the conservative right, where where they decry anything which is not sexually normal, uh, and then they themselves are, tend to be sort of high, have mm. high rates of sexual abuse. So, I find that so you're saying safe schools program and role playing is LGBTI stuff and all that. You're good with that. Well, the the safe schools program uh, was is a set of materials. It's not mandatory. It's a it's a set of, it's a kit of materials that's available for teachers to use as a resource. So are you so, saying there's more to this story? Uh, yes, maybe I'm, being I'm represented. It's been massively beaten up by people who, who just simply want you're to. You're saying be able the to make a media fuss. is misrepresenting things. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Actually, yes. <laughs> and the media is media's a whole other kettle of fish. Isn't I it? am outraged. <laughs> yes. How on earth does Murdoch have as much input into Australia as he does? Yeah. Personally, I, I think we should either burn his empire down or split it up or something. Not a fan of Murdoch. Classic lefty. You want you want to legalise drugs? I absolutely you do. You want pill testing? <coughs> you want our kids to yes. be dying of drugs? No, because it will stop that. But let, let, me, let, me, let me tell oh. you a story. <coughs> let me tell you a story. Uh, <coughs> a friend of mine uh, was a lecturer in public health, which includes drug education. I, I went to her and said, look, um, do you have any textbooks that tell you how, uh, how drugs became illegal? Because once upon a time, everything was legal. All drugs were legal at some point, and then they became illegal. How did drugs become illegal? Uh, and the story of marijuana is illustrative. At the end of the 1930s, uh, alcohol prohibition enforcement authorities in America were suddenly out of work. So they were looking for something to do. Simultaneously, the I've forgotten his name, of course, but uh, it'll come to me in a moment. But the, the fellow who published a number of newspapers had interest in cotton as well. The last thing he wanted was a competing fibre in his market, and hemp was a competing fibre. So he, he put together in his newspapers the uh, a program, uh, ran a program to criminalise uh, marijuana, to make marijuana illegal. And it was done by issuing posters and running beat-ups in his newspaper. The thing that amused me was that it, um, it was racist in content and its intent was to uh, label the filthy Mexicans as running drugs across the border into America and corrupting our pure American youth. And it was quite successful. He managed to get marijuana made illegal. And that's the story of how marijuana became illegal. It was on the basis of racism. And, and also of trying to exclude uh, a, a, a fibre that will compete. So you interest. want to legalise all drugs? Look, I have some reservations about some of them. Uh, now, you must remember that some of these drugs are more or less harmless. Uh, marijuana, uh, there's some association with, uh, with psychosis in some teenagers, but it's not clear whether it's 
causative or whether it's just a uh, just a relationship. If you look at the uh, hallucinogenics, there's, there's almost no fatalities associated with them at all. And, and if you look at alcohol, alcohol is clearly an extremely dangerous drug. Uh, and, and not only that, but there's a lot of money behind it. The, uh, uh, the Labor Party wanted to put in, increase taxes and re- reduce the availability of these mixer drinks. And of course, the, the drugs, uh, sorry, the, the drink industry lobbied effectively against that and it was torn down. But it was cl- probably quite a clever move. I can recommend a really good book. The, the fellow who uh, wrote the book is a bloke called James Nutt, N-U-T-T. And it's called uh, Drugs Without the Hot Air. In there, it, it puts up a rating system for drugs from zero to 100, 100 being the most dangerous drug. Um, alcohol comes in at about 93. Wow. What would it take for you to vote Liberal at the next election? The Liberal Party has to spend 10 years in opposition thinking about what it's just done. <laughs> would you change your vote? How, uh, how committed are you to, to the left? No, no, I'm totally committed to it. Uh, I, I think it, it I, I can't see it happening. What would, what would the Liberal Party have to do for you to walk into the booth and go, you know what, ScoMo? <laughs> well, um, for a start, they would have to... Uh, uh, I don't see how they can do it. I was, I was going to say that uh, they would have to demonstrate commitment to uh, green solutions, to dealing with renewable energy, to, to dealing with climate change. Um, and they've, they've spent their last six years doing their utmost to tear down everything that was put in place to protect the environment. And, of course, the, the funny thing is that uh, even Menzies, I think, would have difficulty with the Liberal Party in its current incarnation. Yeah. Okay, so you're, so you're saying that you think the Liberal Party has moved further right mm. since oh, Menzies? Absolutely. Uh, there, are, there are quotes from Menzies there saying that um, the social security safety net in Australia, in Australia should be accessible to people not with any sense of shame, but as, 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 a, as a right. Um, and that's not mimicked in the current rhetoric of the Absolutely Liberal Party. not. It's more, yeah. let's drug test the, the, them. The, yeah, the, yes, the, wor- the words that they, they associate with uh, users of, 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 of the welfare system are things like burden, you know, mm, these, these mm. social welfare burden. Yeah, how, 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 about, how about the burden of the wealthy who are not paying taxes? How about the burden of multinational companies that are skipping out of Australia with billions of profit? Finally, you have you know a growing audience of a few numbers. This podcast is yeah, it's going it's blowing up. Why should people vote? Who and why? Look, I, I think the. Labor Party is worth supporting in this election. Bill Shorten completely lacks charisma, which I think is a terrific thing. We tried charisma. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we tried charisma. It's in, the best in, self of Bill Shorten <laughs> I've ever heard. The guy's boring, but yes. that's what we need. Absolutely. So how about we try some boring competence? You know, we've, 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 had, we've had incompetent charisma, uh, and, and now we have shouty, uncharismatic incompetence uh, in, in Scott Morrison. Um, I, I'd be inclined to give uh, Shorten a go. Why is it important for people to vote Labor? Uh, I think we have to do something about the shift of affluence towards the 1%. The 1% is doing too well, uh, said he as he looks out at his two Mercedes in the driveway. <laughs> so, so Coming the, from the top, <laughs> I will accept. <laughs> so, so, so the 1% has done too well, um, and I think they have to start paying more taxes. And that means you? Well, yeah. Regrettably, okay. yes. <laughs> Seems like a good place to, to leave it. 
Chris, <laughs> thanks for talking to us. It's been a great conversation. I feel like we've got many more topics. Maybe Chris will be back. Who knows? <laughs> Keep an eye out. But thanks so much for joining me. Uh, my very great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode. That was a bit quiet, but Radio 1, thanks for listening to that episode. If you enjoyed that episode, oh, well, strap in. We got three more locked and loaded, just like it. Well, kind of just like it. I will be speaking with a Liberal supporter, a Green supporter, and if I can find one, a One Nation supporter. So stay tuned for that. If you are still listening right now, you made it to the very end of this episode, I would love to ask a massive favor. If you could share this podcast, because that's how people hear about things. I mean, I'm forever telling everybody about podcasts and they're like, shut up, man. We don't listen to podcasts. I'm like, you should. They're the best. So if you could share this with your friends, your family, anyone, just I'm okay if you do the passive aggressive share, the passive aggressive, hey, here's an idea that you need to learn about. Listen to this episode. Hey, that's fine. I'll accept any type of sharing. If you have Apple Podcasts, jump on, give it a five-star rating. Anything less, don't bother. Go have a cup of tea. And if you want to reach out to us, have any ideas that you think we should talk about, you can reach us on Instagram at Ideas Digest or shoot us an email, old-fashioned style, ideasdigest at gmail.com. I think that's all. I'll catch you next time.